There was a level of peace that was inaccessible to me through that path without entering the realm of psychedelics. We don't know something's wrong until it goes wrong, so we have a hard time getting ahead of things, staying ahead of things. Resentments are the number one offender. It destroys more, more alcoholics than anyone else. I wear my situation long enough, I develop a sort of tunnel vision. I only see things the way I'm programmed. An expectation is a premeditated resentment. We are uh, human beings. We're designed to experience and let go, experience and let go. Anything you start holding on to starts to weigh us down. Welcome to the In Search of More podcast. I am your host, Ellie Nash. Join me weekly on my quest for more, more from myself and more from this world. We'll see you on the other side. Once again, I'm sitting here with Daniel Resnick. If this is your first time seeing him on this podcast, I recommend you check out um, our discussion, early discussion, a longer discussion between me and him. Here we're going to go into, and we explained it on that podcast, what we're doing on this one. Here we're going to go into specific, um, maybe thoughts, teachings, ideas. We'll start with one that uh, Daniel has shared with me on a few occasions, and I'll ask him to explain it here. And uh, we'll do several of these, and hopefully this won't be the last time we have uh, Daniel gracing us with his presence. So uh, one of the first ideas you shared with me are the idea, the, um, the stages of disease, which <laughs> I think is important to, um, to, to understand. And the, one of the reasons I think it's important to understand is it actually goes back to some of our last conversation, which was... We all want to grow. We all want to change. But on some level, many of us have realized that it takes um, a certain type of, a certain level of suffering to bring about the willingness to. And we spoke about your path and my path and how, in some ways, uh, yours didn't take quite as much suffering as mine did in order to get there. And you the had question, the pre-suffering. I had the post. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> and the question is, I think that everyone wants to know, is how do we get to that place that we kind of preempt it and we change before the suffering reaches a, you know, um, a fever pitch. And I thought that maybe this conversation around the stages of disease, if we understand it, then we can notice it in its infancy and in its earliest stages and maybe be motivated to change earlier, understanding where the future goes. You know, in the Talmud, it says, who is wise, he who sees the future. So. Yeah, uh, getting ahead of stuff is is critical, right? We're we're so used to uh, in our society to going to the doctor after we get sick, right? So we get sick, and that's the impetus to go kind of get checked up, and then we have to uh, try to correct the situation, right? We end up treating the symptoms often when that happens, uh, because the cause of the symptoms might be something very deep rooted, and we don't know where or what it is, and so we describe the symptoms to the doctor, and you know we get a pill for it, and we get very accustomed to that. We don't know something's wrong until it goes wrong, so we. Have have a hard time getting ahead of things, staying ahead of things, and preemptively warding off sickness, meaning having a proper, let's say, lifestyle that's conducive to health and wellness is something foreign to us. Um, this is changing slowly, but let's kind of help that process <laughs> along. And the six stages of disease, when I stumbled upon it, and again, none of this is a teaching, it's all a reminder, because all the truth is really out there. It's just a question of whether we're uh, interested enough to go find it. Um, and if everything's cool, it's like, oh, I have no reason. I'm enjoying the moment. I have no reason to figure anything out, search for anything, do any research. And then something goes wrong. And then boom, now I'm off to the races to try to address it. So when I found uh, the six stages of disease, 
they were hiding kind of in plain sight. They were already out there. And uh, it really struck a chord with me for the same reason that you're bringing it up from my own perspective, you know, looking at my life saying that, hey, man, I didn't really kind of uh, get ahead of my health and wellness until I had a reason to, until my daughter was born. And then I started to take myself a little bit more seriously. Um, so just to run through them really quickly, and then we can expand on them. But basically, Ayurvedic medicine identified there uh, being six stages to disease, and it all starts with accumulation. So accumulation, the piling up of stuff leads to inflammation. Inflammation leads to spread. Spread leads to localization. Localization leads to manifestation. And then manifestation leads to disruption. That's the daisy chain. Where did it start? It started with accumulation. So accumulation is a problem. Accumulation is a problem. We are uh, human beings. We're designed to experience and let go, experience and let go. Anything you start holding on to starts to weigh us down. We can look at it with food very practically and say that, hey, we eat food, food, food. And if we don't pass the waste, we know we're going to get sick. But before we get sick, it's going to go through these varying degrees of, uh, let's say, getting worse, right? So um, it works the same way psychologically. We hold on to all of this psychic baggage. It takes up a lot of space. It doesn't belong inside. And so the next stage is inflammation. Whatever we're holding on to, whether it's food or So would it be appropriate during the course of this conversation to give examples, both, let's say, psychologically and physically, sure. like kind of at the same time? So yeah. accumulation would be physically... So physically accumulation, I eat food. I'm eating two, three meals a day. And let's say some of it is backing up and I'm not passing all of the waste. How would we know that? How would we know that? Well, as an example, let's say we're eating food and next thing you know, we're dealing with uh, constipation. So we're dealing with constipation. There's a level of discomfort. It's a symptom of sorts. And we say, hey, I know that I've been eating. I haven't been going in the bathroom often. Something's up. Would gaining weight be accumulation also? Absolutely. It's That's a, also, it's a great, great indicator. Yeah, great indicator. Um, because so why, there's some accumulation going why on Why am here? I gaining weight? Because I'm consuming more calories than I'm burning. I'm, I'm accumulating. Holding. I'm accumulating. And so on a psychological level, it works the exact same way. When I'm holding on to my history, when I'm holding on to all the traumas that have ever happened to me, I'm holding on to um, stuff. Let's and, say yesterday, okay, uh -huh. just to give psychological. Yeah. So, um, I was on the phone with my wife and I was certain I heard something in the background that was bugging me. Yeah. And when we hung up the phone. I was like playing with that. Of course. Thing that right. was bugging me. And that was already inflammation. That was already inflammation. Yes. Because you didn't let it go right away. You didn't express it to her on the phone. You didn't let it go. And as a result of not letting it go, what did you do? You held on. And when you hold on to something that doesn't belong, so it gets I accumulated inflamed. it by not. Passing it right then. Right then you hey, should have expressed there? it. Okay. Right. The second stage is? Inflammation. Oh, right away. Inflammation. Yeah. So once you're holding it, it doesn't belong inside. It gets inflamed. Okay. So gaining it's weight is inflammation. Okay. So physically. Gaining weight is a symptom of accumulation. There, you, you might be already further down the road. We can figure it out based on the symptoms that you, let's say, are able to express some of the stuff you don't know it's there. So you can't necessarily express it or speak to it. So once we start to accumulate, once we start to hold on to more than we are letting go of, it's piling up inside. It doesn't belong inside. And so it gets inflamed. 
it gets inflamed because it doesn't belong and it's a fire inside of us inflammation and that doesn't do us any good so physically inflammation may look like what what might that physically inflammation looks like heartburn as an example i'm eating the wrong foods i'm not maybe lethargy could that be inflammation or that's a further stage well maybe maybe it's not as cut and dry but if we kind of run down we can uh, if we run down oh, okay. heartburn, inflammation, there's some burning, there's burning. something. It's, it's a fire. It's a fire inside. Right. And so we know that that's not going to do us any favors if there's a fire inside of me and I'm not, you know, addressing it, right? We need to put out the fire. But instead of addressing the fire, we have to reverse engineer kind of the daisy chain and figure out what it is that we're accumulating in the first place. So just to go at it one more time and to make it clear, accumulation, accumulation of stuff, physical or psychological leads to inflammation. The stuff doesn't belong. It gets inflamed. It needs to get out of the system. And so it starts spreading throughout the system, which is the third stage. It spreads. Spreads. So let's bring that back to, to my example. So I was inflamed by what I accumulated and I didn't pass through on, yep. on the phone. Um, and about 30 or 45 minutes later, I called her up. I clarified. And she said, no, that wasn't what was going on at all. Yeah. So in it the spread. Background. What? So it spread. At that point, it, it went spread. beyond you to her. It spread. Okay, she but addressed then she... the accumulation. She said, Correct. oh, there's nothing there in the first place. So now you realize, oh, there's nothing for me to hold. So by not holding it anymore, it's no longer inflamed and it's no longer spreading to this other person. So when you, there's six stages of disease, but it almost sounds like each one of these stages open up a new avenue of healing. Well, that's what they're all trying to do. They're all trying to get your attention saying, hey, you've accumulated something that doesn't belong. Right. So once it's all I spread designed it, to heal. Understood. It's all right. designed to heal. So once I spread it to my wife, she, she helped me deal with the, the she addressed the accumulation. Right. Okay. And uh, had I, let's say, done something I would have done a couple of years ago where I would have assumed, I wouldn't have clarified, I would have attacked and said, Oh, I know exactly what that was, you know. And by the way, I'm always comfortable sharing what's going on with me, but I, once I bring in my wife or others, I have to be a little bit um, sensitive. Sensitive. So I'm being intentionally um, unclear, but the details actually don't matter that much. So if I would have done it as I did in the past, right? So now this spread would have come from more with an attack. And whether or not it was true or wasn't true, now I would have been standing my ground. She would have been upset that she was attacked. Now where are we? You're already identifying the sixth stage, which is disruption. So you're just very efficient and going through mm-hmm. your, you know, dis-ease. I got you. Your dis-ease, discomfort. So we accumulate. It piles up. It doesn't belong in the system. It gets inflamed. It wants our attention. It's trying to address the accumulation. The fire. Treating the accumulation is really what, you know, it's pointing at. Because if we just treat the inflammation, the accumulation is still there. Right. So it's going to manifest in all these different ways. And so from that... So physically, what does that spread look like? So physically, this inflammation wants to get me. out of the system. It wants to get out of the system by any means necessary because it knows it's disrupting the system. It's doing damage. So what it does is it spreads throughout the body-mind complex to find a weak point. It wants a weak point because it thinks it's a chink in the armor and it's the fastest way out. That's why it's spreading. It's spreading to find a weakness in the body, so it can park itself there, so it can get out. And that's localization. That's the fourth stage. When it finds the weak point, it buries itself in the weak point. So why, why did you call heartburn 
inflammation, maybe heartburn is localization? It's a daisy chain. So they're all connected, right? So the idea is, again, any of those stages are an indicator that I've accumulated something. We don't have Understood. to focus on the symptoms. Right. It's not so much like because we're... we'll never deal with the cause. Understood. And that's part of... See, that's part of... The this, accumulation. Yeah. And it's also part of our mentality of how we address health and wellness. Right. Reactively. My, right. My, my continued focus... On a symptomatic focus, level. Right. My continued focus during this conversation of where exactly it is in the process is an example of my conditioning over how we deal with issues. It's like, okay, where can I disrupt it? Where can I, well, not right. disrupt it? That's Anything not a but word. to look at the accumulation. Right, exactly. Let me look at any of these symptoms. Let me deal with any of these symptoms. But, but not I'm not looking deep inside to find out what I'm holding on to. And that's where we are. And that's why this is a beautiful conversation to have. Because this is where we are as a society. Because we haven't necessarily been given some of these ancient tools for intentional reasons and maybe unintentional reasons. But ultimately, whatever is accumulated will get inflamed because it wants out. It'll spread to try to get out. It'll find a weak point and it'll bury itself in the weak point, which is localization, the fourth stage, because it thinks it's going to get out that way. And then if I still don't deal with what's being accumulated, the fifth stage is manifestation, manifestation of symptoms. Now I have perhaps heartburn. I have a creaky knee. I have a bad back. I have pains. I have symptoms. And still yet, if I don't address the accumulation, if I only start treating the symptoms, that accumulation is still there. The underlying cause never went away. And so the next stage is disruption. Disruption is like full-blown 911 situations. Cancer, autoimmune, depression, um, anxiety, PTSD. Those are already the disruptors, the big heavy hitters in life that really prevent me from having any enjoyable, let's say, quality of life. That's already the sixth stage. It's that 911 situation. And if we only treat the symptoms, we'll never address the cause of the symptoms, which is the accumulation. What am I holding on to physically or psychologically? And all we need to do is reverse engineer the process, get down to the accumulation aspect of it, and figure it out. Look to find what's been piled up. Right. And then I'm, take corrective measures. Right. I'm thinking if this is similar to, um, you know, I couldn't connect a lot of our conversation, a lot of my conversations on this podcast to the 12 steps, because it's the first framework that I had to, while well, there are many frameworks that are offered to gain freedom, this was the first framework that was offered to me in a digestible way at a desperate enough moment mm. to be able to lean into it and really um, apply myself to it. And one of the things it says in the big book of AA is resentments are the number one offender. It destroys more, more alcoholics than anyone else. And I think of that word resentment, which um, in French, right, a feeling is a sentiment, right? Sent sentiment. Mm -hmm. I'm sentimental towards something, right? It's a, so a re-sentiment. I'm re-feeling. I'm re I've accumulated this feeling. Here mm -hmm. I am. I had, you know, I got upset at something you did. And instead of letting that go, which could be communicated, communicating with you or just actually letting it go i hold on to this i accumulate this mm. and then i refeel this i resentiment yes and that's the reactive that's model and that's why um we got to get ahead of things instead of reacting we need to be 
proactive. We need to preemptively ward off some of the issues that we'll deal with if we're not letting everything pass. If we start this game of holding. Um, right. So you're saying at that slightest sign of discomfort, whatever it is, right? So it could be a little sluggishness. It could be a little weight gain. It could be um, a little heartburn, whatever it is, the slightest line of sluggishness, that to you is the indicator that, okay, I'm accumulating something. How do I let this go? So that's on a physical level. And psychologically, we see that too. There's a, a fear that's unaddressed, a conversation that's unfinished. Uh, it's much more challenging to find it. See, on a physical level, it's easy. Okay, so look, I, I ate all this food. I'm not passing the waste. I get constipated. There's a clear indicator, a clear symptom. And we have a lot of tools to address the physical accumulation. The symptoms of it. Yes. Um, but even on a causal level, if I know I'm eating the wrong foods and I'm not able to pass the waste, it's easy to change my diet. Easier, I should say, than to, you know, go at it from a psychological standpoint, because a lot of the times I don't know what I'm holding. See, with bad food, listen, if I ate, you know, bad food, meaning like I ate some fast food, I know I'm not doing myself any favors, but it's like, all right, I'll take a little pleasure and it's worth it. I'm okay with it. I'll exercise twice as hard tomorrow. So on a psychological level, we don't necessarily see it. On a psychological level, we don't really recognize what we're holding on to because we don't know what we don't know. And so no one taught us that, uh, hey, you shouldn't hold on to the good moments any more or less than you should hold on to the bad moments. So let's talk about that. Why not? So everybody tells us, oh, you know, this happened to you in the past. Let it go. It's bad. Oh, it made you feel a certain way. It was a trauma. Let it go. And it's easy to hear that. It's very tough to do sometimes. We relive it in our mind. And by doing so, we kind of really cement it into our psychology. And then we, again, relive it. We, right? Um, but why not hold on to the good stuff? What does that mean? I shouldn't hold on to the, you know, uh, best experiences of my life. And the answer is no. You shouldn't hold on to any of it. Because if you're holding on to the best experience that you've ever had, with some food, you know, pizza, for an example, I use this all the time. I just, I, I love pizza personally. It's easy for me to speak to it. So I love pizza. And then I have this, you know, pie and it's the best pie I've ever had. And I hold it in my mind as the standard. Every other pie that I have, every other slice that I have doesn't match up to it. And now I start losing my love of pizza because nothing matches up to that previous slice. and now I don't love pizza anymore. And why am I not loving pizza? Because I'm just holding on to this model of how it should be. Oh, correct. Oh, and, I got it. Right? And, and so because I'm holding on to this standard, is, everything else pales in comparison. And now I lose my love for that. So is this similar to the Buddhist concept that all attachment causes suffering? Yeah. And I would so like to reframe that be... for a minute because the word suffering, people don't get with that. It's like I tell, you could tell someone, oh, I see you suffering. They're like, I'm not suffering. What are you talking about? Let's call it something a little more approachable. And it's discontent. It's not suffering. It's discontent. Dissatisfaction, even better. Okay? So what they're pointing at is that um, so they're saying 
They're saying life is dissatisfaction. I'm dissatisfied because I have desire. If I let go of the desire, I let go of the dissatisfaction. And then the fourth is the eightfold path. They give you kind of a framework to get out of the jam, basically. But they're identifying that they're trying to point at the fact that if we hold on to a certain model of how it should be, we're setting ourselves up for dissatisfaction because then everything that doesn't match up to it, everything doesn't hit that high note, um, causes us to feel dissatisfied and it's uncomfortable to feel dissatisfied. Yeah, I've heard uh, expectations. It's like your top shelf, I'm sorry to jump in, but it's yeah. like your top shelf example, right? It's like you held this model yeah. of what a top shelf experience should be and then you have it and all of a sudden you're like, wow, that didn't do it for me and it blew up your whole concept of what the top shelf is, right, how it I should work. Right. <laughs> right. So what it was, was you were holding on to this model of what top shelf is. It might've been something beautiful in your mind. You held on to it. And as soon as the reality didn't meet up with the expectation, disappointment. Right. I've heard, uh, I don't know who the quote is attributed to, but an expectation is a premeditated resentment. Yeah, man. Right. Expectation leads to disappointment. Absolutely. Okay, because so this, who, what, are, what are we expecting? We expect right. So now we're outcome. seeing kind of how all roads lead to the the same place, you know. In in the in the twelve steps, and I'll go back to that. So after you kind of get through the first nine steps, which is step one, two, and three are called foundational steps, which is what is the mindset that I need to approach the work. Step four through nine is the work: cleaning house, uh, searching and fearless, fearless moral inventory, ask sharing it with others, asking God for help, seeing where we wronged others, correcting it, right? going through that process. So after that point in time, there should be a feeling, if someone has gone through it diligently, of being fairly clean. There should be. There should be. There will be. Right? If we've gone through it diligently and looked at the resentments, the fears, the character defects, the amends one needs to make, at, at, at the end of that process, one should feel pretty clean. There's only one problem. Tomorrow. <laughs> right? There's new filth mm -hmm. to, to pick up. And for that, there's step 10. And step 10 reads, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it, which is recommended in the, in the step itself. It doesn't say that, but in the big book, it recommends that as a daily practice, that daily check in with yourself, mm -hmm. right? Are there these... But there's a fundamental flaw there. Go ahead. How do you know you're wrong? How do you know... You're wrong. What was the step? The step is... Right, you take this kind of internal audit, and if you did something wrong, promptly admit it. Right. What if you don't recognize it as being wrong? So, what if you don't know what you don't know? And that's how that psychological kind of accumulation starts up. Exactly. Because we start holding stuff that we don't know and we shouldn't be holding. And that's a beautiful part of the process, right? If we miss it at the accumulation stage, we're going to catch it at the inflammation stage. We, and if we, we miss should. it at the inflammation <laughs> stage, we're going to catch it at the spread or the localization yeah. or eventually disruption. So we may miss it. 100%, and then, but, we may but miss the it. issue is by the time it hits disruption, you might be incapacitated to do anything about it in the first place. So what is your solution? Um, 
it's not my solution. It's basically what's baked into the six stages. And they're saying accumulation will lead you down this uncomfortable road. But we can road. miss accumulation. So much like the step that you identified in the big book, you have to kind of take this introspective look to see what's going on, to see if you're holding on to anything. And we identified that physically, you know, there are certain symptoms that really show us that we are holding and we can do something about it. On a psychological level, if no one ever told us, don't hold on to your bad experiences, but also don't hold on to your good experiences because they could create certain expectations that'll lead to disappointments. If no one's teaching us that, then we're right. all our life, we're making uh, we're a very bad habit of holding these memories, these postcards, these ideal kind of standards and situations that we draw up for ourselves. And then every time life misses that mark, we feel disappointed and we feel let down. But the result is, the result is we feel like shit. And why? Life happens the way it happens, the way it's supposed to, in a very natural fashion. But it's everything that I've been holding on to, these standards, these ways it should be, which is leading me to disappointment. So let's undo that. And what does it require? It requires, um, it requires introspection. And again, we might not have the tools. They might not have been handed down to us by previous generations because those previous generations didn't have, let's say, certain skill sets to pass I got it. Us. Okay, and this, going back to our previous conversation, is this is where experiences such as the one psychedelics offers, but once we see it in psychedelics, it's often easier to see it in other experiences such as breathwork or meditation or you yes. know, other, other such experiences. Those so offer, offer a great tool for that. Right. Those offer a kind of window in to that process and say, okay, here's introspection, but let me give it to you with a flashlight and a microscope and an experienced guy. It's the window and it's the push from behind to put <laughs> us through the window and have us in the middle of it all where we can see it very clearly and we can't frankly unsee it. And if we choose to unsee it and try to push it away, and that's kind of what manifests as, you know, what people would call a bad trip. It's not, it's actually giving you exactly what you asked for. It's giving you exactly what you need. You're just not willing to take your medicine, so to speak. You're not willing to see it. And, um, you're not willing to do anything about it, frankly. And that's a bigger problem. Because now I see it and I don't want to do anything about it. And now I have this kind of cognitive dissonance where, where you know, mentally I understand where my situation is, but I'm not willing to put any effort behind uh, addressing it and correcting it. And that's an even harder place. But again, that level of suffering might perhaps lead us to, you know, the pathway home where we finally say enough is enough. I'm going to do something about it. Um, but psychedelics offer us perspective. So... A good example, I guess, would be like navigation in my car. Before navigation, and I remember I had plenty of cars that had no navigation system before cell phones were omnipresent, right? We had to use MapQuest and print out a piece of paper that tells us how to go. But ultimately, if I didn't have my MapQuest to, you know, print out, and if I'm in an area where I'm not familiar, I haven't been there before, all I could see is the street in the corner I'm on. So I'm on Main Street. First Avenue. And I can't see any further than where I'm at. And so 
I know where I need to go. I just don't have the most efficient path to get there. What did navigation do? Navigation gave us a bird's eye view. It gave us 20 blocks around Main Street and First. So now I still know where I'm going, but now with that new perspective, I can chart the most efficient path to get there, the most direct route. And so navigation, what it did was it just gave us some fresh perspective. The streets were still the street. The car is still the car. I'm still in this place. It just gave me a higher view of things. And with that fresh perspective, my journey became more efficient. It gave us easier. one more thing also, is that it continuously notifies us on the way how we're doing, right? If we, did, right, if we if go we, off course, right? We go so off course, the odds of getting lost are, are, are limited. And so... We have this opportunity with our own mind to get this bird's eye view. And again, there are many tools. I'm not pointing at one, saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying that psychedelics are a profound tool with regard to gaining this higher perspective over our situation. And what we do with that, how we integrate that is completely up to us. But at least now we see the playing field in a more fuller context. And that's invaluable because with that information, I could make better informed decisions. I don't necessarily have to take the bumpier path. I could take the more direct route. It's a choice, obviously. But now I have this information, whereas previously I didn't. And so it's a type of navigation system of sorts. It's a bird's eye view over my situation. Because what happens is when I wear my situation long enough, I develop a sort of tunnel vision. I only see things the way I'm programmed. And, and you're saying, if, if I'm understanding correctly, this can happen to us once again. Meaning af even after psychedelic journeys, we still run the risk of our mind coming back in, deluding us in some way, getting conditioned again by the environment, yeah. and thinking we know something we don't. I outsmart myself all the time. The navigation says, take this road. I say, no, no, no. You know what? Let me take this other path. It's a choice. I'm making a choice. Right. I'm overriding the data that I have, thinking that I know better. And I'm going to take the path I choose anyway. It'll still take me to the destination I programmed into my GPS anyway. It's just going to be a different path. And then every so often we get the opportunity to go back in to a psychedelic trip. No, no matter how many years we may have experience this or something else or another tool that one can use to get back to that same place and say, okay, but are we really on the right path? Right. And that's what it, it continuously if we choose. Offers, up, right. offers us. Right. So I think now I understand, um, you know, and I've, I've been talking about this a little bit more where kind of the limitations of the 12 steps were for myself. And I don't think it was only for myself because I, I was witnessing similar suffering, um, in the room I was a part of, right? It wasn't for lack of taking it seriously. It was that there wasn't something that we can lean on to continuously reorient us. And that's what, I guess what you're saying, like that 10 step continue to take personal inventory. And when we're wrong, promptly admit it. Yeah. When you see a wrong, how you, but how are you going to know? And here is a tool that can allow us to lean in as it has for me and see things that I was missing horribly, distorting terribly about the 12 steps in my own life and holding myself back from uh, living the life I um, not only could live, but I'm living now. Like there are things and beauty and like, richness in my life today that was unavailable to me, no matter 
how many hours and hours and hours of 12 steps I did. So while I resisted early on when you said that about like a limitation of the 10th step, I was like, what do you mean? How can someone challenge the 12 steps? Yeah, I'm a walking, um, I'm walking, talking proof, I think, that there are limitations within um, the 12 steps, at least the way I was practicing it. And even though I was going at it for years and gone through the steps multiple times and taken others through the steps multiple times, uh, there were... Um, there was a level of peace that was inaccessible to me through that path without entering the realm of psychedelics and seeing exactly what you're saying. You identify the 12 steps as framework. That's beautiful. Guess what? We build on framework, (laughs) meaning it expands, it grows. Why would we limit it? Why would we put it in a box, right? So the whole idea is that it was a great model. It still is a great model. It helps a lot of people, but it's not the end-all be-all, meaning we could improve on it. Why can't we improve on it? You know, there's the internet and then there's web 2.0. And now we have another kind of, you know, manifestation of this technology, you know, with web 3.0. So it keeps growing. Nobody's saying, oh, this is a great tool. Let's limit it right here and cut it off and not allow any innovation. Let's innovate. Right. I'd like to think that um, some of the years I spent in that way, (coughs) therapy and the 12 steps have allowed me to integrate this idea of the importance of integration faster than had I just gone from suffering to psychedelics. Like I've already seen the importance of through the 12 steps and through therapy and through everything else of, um, you know, in in 12 steps, they say like, it's nice to be sober in the meeting, but how do we stay sober out of the meeting? So that's an integration. It's wonderful to be um, at peace in a psychedelic journey. You're not at peace in the psychedelic journey. Well, You're not usually at peace in a psychedelic right, journey. There's a lot of work, not, but I right. joke. But let's say at the end of it, right? That, that end experience where you feel like amazing and connected and connected to the other people in the room and that peaceful Sometimes, state. let's be clear, sometimes. sometimes. I don't want to create an expectation that that's the way, sure. you know, and, and a standard. It is absolutely not. Understood. But there are often times, at least for me, at the end of a journey, there are often times a sense that there's a lot that has been cleaned off and there's a clarity and there's a sure. a, a clarity on my next move. Okay, yes. this is where I go to from here. That's much different than picking that up and doing it a week or two later. I can have all the clarity in the world. I had a lot of clarity um, in a journey about the importance for me of daily prayer. That clarity has not translated yet into it daily hasn't prayer. Been integrated, yeah. <laughs> um, so you two awesome things to dig into. So one, you said, you know, it's easy to say sober in a meeting. How do we say sober outside of the meeting? So much with psychedelics, the ceremony of using psychedelics therapeutically with intention is teaching us how to basically function in the greater ceremony of life. It's the microcosm to the macrocosm. Everything that it's teaching you in that moment is something that needs to be integrated and taken on the road, not exclusively for your psychedelic experiences, but for this greater experience. And so, so I guess, you know, what it comes down to is, is we could easily get out ahead of it and say, you know what, you want to, you want, you want to live a clean, healthy lifestyle, eat well, go to the gym and let's say whatever it is uh sleep well whatever it is yeah sleep well whatever it is and i understand that intellectually but for whatever reason i can't get to it i can't integrate i can't do it i'm not sure why and so it's easy to 
comprehend this. It's easy to communicate this to someone, but why are we having such a hard time integrating these very basic, fundamental lifestyle changes to preemptively ward off any forthcoming sickness? And we know it's going to be there if we don't take care of ourselves, but why are we having such a hard time, right? So we know the answers, but we can't execute. We can't integrate. What's going on? What, what, what's going on? What is that pointing is, at? That's pointing at perhaps that there is some psychological accumulation that prevents me from taking this very concrete, bona fide information and incorporating it into my day-to-day life. So what am I holding on to that's preventing me from snapping this in? You, what's uh, blocking it? Should I make that practical for us? Please. Guilt. Right. So meaning, no, meaning when you're saying those words, it's like, okay, I know that I got to be in the gym three, four times a week, or I'm going to accumulate something that's going to manifest as illness at some point. Yes. What stops me? Yep. Guilt. And it's one of the things I've noticed almost uniformly from um, psychedelic experiences that it's going to eradicate guilt. Like it doesn't like guilt. (laughs) I don't know if you, if you agree with me on this, but. I've seen it with my own and with many others. Guilt is not something that's very compatible with um, psych- with psychedelic experiences, right? There's a, there, I guess there's um, there is an accumulation there. There's someone else's idea imposed from the past, imposed on what we should do in a moment in, exactly. in this moment. And if it's inappropriate, not I feel guilty mon- about it because right. I'm not doing it because somebody else told me to do it, and I recognize them as being the higher authority. Right. You're not a good mother if. You're going to the gym today and getting a manicure afterwards. Your kid needs you. And that, and even though in that moment you know that I keep going at this pace, right. my kid's going to have a sick mother. Right. But so it's a form of projection anyway. by the person that passed it down. So they had their own guilt. And we've accumulated that in some way. And they pass it down to us. So of course we're accumulating it. We're taking it. They're handing it to us. And it's usually happening at an early age when we're very open and very receptive. And it's usually coming from our custodians are caretakers because we trust them a child's open and has no recognition of the world being a scary place or needing to carry around a shield all the time so the kid is completely open and he's completely most open within his own home within his safe space his environment so you, you'd consider that a form of accumulation i've 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 taken on this bad idea it's been handed to, been handed you, to me and now you're holding the bag and I'm holding it. right that's it you didn't come up with it and guilt is reactionary on top of that. Correct. Where, and where is it being held? In the mind. And what is psychedelics? What, how do they help us? They help us transcend mind. So if I have this accumulation in my mind and it's blocking me from getting my bird's eye view, then it, it needs to be eradicated. So what's the experience going to do? What's our higher self going to do? It's going to immerse us in it. It's going to immerse us in the guilt <laughs> until... We can clear. We can it see up. it for what it is, and then when we disconnect from it, all of a sudden we rise up, past it, and so again another form of getting out of the way. Because what happens is we get in our own way by holding some of this nonsense, some of this inherited trauma, frankly, and it prevents us from rising up, from living our truest, best life. And until we disconnect from that weight of accumulation, we are held down. 
So what you're saying is uh, triggering something which I want to bring up, but we're going to keep it to that's awesome. No, right. no, <laughs> no which we're going to keep it to a separate episode. That way, this one is clean in terms of just to recap the six stages of disease: accumulation, inflammation, spread, localization, manifestation, manifestation disruption. disruption. And the idea of this, the hope is that in understanding these six stages of disease, we can meet it earlier in the process, and more importantly, understand that the symptoms are not. The, the the what we need to deal with don't get lost on where we are in the process as much as the accumulation that's right how do we let how that's do we let the, go of that's that? the cause deal with the cause not the symptoms amen to that <laughs>